Right, unless your parents were somebody important. Yeah, and you had uh, really sharp clothes. You were just not considered in. If you were brown? Yeah. Dark? Dark. At Sumner. And so I didn't want to go to Sumner. You knew was, that already? Yeah, so now I was afraid of it. How'd you know that? It, it was it was known. It was known. If you went to Fashan, you could be dark. And, and you could steal, yeah. But at, at Sumner, you couldn't. And so I, I, I was afraid to go there, and I didn't want to go. Um, because even though I wore nice clothes, I didn't always wear what was really in. My mother didn't go for all of that. And so I was able to go to Soul Dan and be very comfortable because I was considered part of the well-dressed and, and everything else. Um, I didn't have that, that kind of competition. So Even you chose to, to go to a school where there were whites because you felt more comfortable there yeah. than you did. Yeah. Put that in your own words. I didn't have the same pressure to, to fit in. I was able... I was able to fit in with the blacks at Soldan. Not necessarily with the whites. Okay. With the, with the blacks but with at Soldan. Yeah. And yeah. felt comfortable there. Uh huh. But at at Sumner, it would have been too much of a challenge. And you had to be extra smart if you were dark. Everything had to be extra. And where at Soul Van, it was just because you were black, mm -hmm. period, as a whole, you know, the generic term black. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So you could be, you were okay anyway. Yeah. I mean, accepted in that, on those terms. Um, did your parents ever instruct you or tell you what was appropriate behavior with people that were of different color? Did no, they, no. Like a survival technique or anything? No, because you were just taught to respect adults, mm -hmm. not to talk back to anybody, mm -hmm. and and just to be a certain way around adults. Um. Okay. Is there anything else we want to say about that integration? Uh, you you we were going back to your day. We started with your dad. He said it was not always better. Uh, quality of life. Yes, and, and, and black ownership. That that blacks gave up a certain amount of independence and integration. Mm -hmm. And because his thing was always that to integrate, to get into something else, you have to give up something of yours mm -hmm. to move into somebody else's a way of life. And so blacks had to give up a lot of their things in order to integrate. What 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 do what would you say people did have to give up? Well, like I said, the the, the black ownership mm -hmm. that you had, the ownership of you know your 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 movies, your theaters, okay, right so in your neighborhood. Yes, your whole black community. When things integrated people naturally want to expand out and see what's what's different. And so you just lost every everything when when restaurants were available to everybody. All the black restaurants closed. Some came back later on as soul food places. Uh, 
We never call it soul food. It was just the food we ate. Yeah. And um, the Riviere. I got in, yes, I got in on the Riviere. And uh, so I was able to go there to see Jackie Wilson and and Sam Tell Cook. me, tell me, that was on Delmar, the yeah. Riviera nightclub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was known all over the country because it was, it was a fancy club. Even when I, I start now, I start going to clubs early. I start going to clubs when I was fourteen, and I didn't have any sisters, and my cousins. I was with my cousins all the time, who were like four to five years older than me. Oh, so you would go with them? Yes, and my mother felt that I was safer with them because they would protect me rather than with a bunch of kids my own age. So I couldn't stay after school for affairs, but I was going into nightclubs. <laughs> and staying out to two o'clock in the morning with my cousins. And uh, so I was going to the Riviera at 14. I was, had to put on the makeup. And I would get there and I mean, being 14, I liked to dance all night, so all the older men were dancing. And when it was time to go home, my cousin would come over and say, let's go. Man said, I want a phone number. I said, do you know she's 14? <laughs> Never tell him that till the end of the night. <laughs> so you saw the great entertainers. Yes. Can the, you name some? Can you remember some? Yes. Um, well, not the really great entertainers. They would go to the chase. No. Um, that was that was still before my time. The really great was the Count Basies and and all of them. I remember them. Uh, my mother going to them when I was little. We stayed in Court Square Village. They used to have the Y Club. And is the Pine Street Y? No, I don't know why they called it the Y Club. It was it was the Black Y, I guess. And they would bring these entertainers in. This would go on for like a week. And every night they would have a different group, and they would have all your major entertainers, yeah, Ella Fitzgerald, and Sarah Fawn, and Lena Horne, everybody, they would come in. And so this was the blacks' opportunity to go and dress up and see all these big names. And they usually just pick one night, because she couldn't afford too many nights. And it was at the keel. And my mother would go and, you know, it was, we wait up for him to come back because she would get dressed up and smelling good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, then they would go to the to the Riviera, and it was a club called the West End Waiters Club that blacks came to. And they would go there and peg leg baits and, and everybody else. When I started and, going. And peg leg baits? Baits, yeah. He was a, a dancer with a wooden leg. He's still around. I read something about him just recently. And he's still around. He has a place in in New York and the Catskills, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, he used to dance on his peg leg. And he was on the Ed Sullivan show years ago and everything. Tell me about the West End Waiters Club. Now, I never went to the West End Waiters. And, but my folks went there. And it was like the Riviere. It was not as well known as the Riviere. And I understand it was not as fancy as the Riviere. How did that get their, the name? Because it was, it was in the West End. No, but Waiters Club. I don't know. It might have had something to do with, with waiters. waiters, yeah. Because they had a um, a butler and chauffeur's thing, ball. too. Yes, yeah, butlers and chauffeur's ball. Yeah. But I found out from interviewing someone last week that 
You didn't have to be, I mean, you could just go, mm -hmm. but you didn't have to be in that type of service. Right, but they ran it. Right. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And so the West End waiters might have been, that might have the been same. the same thing, yeah. Um, integration and uh, brings us into uh, public accommodations, accommodations and the freedom to go and do what you wanted. Um, and you said people went and did that. Was it slow and sure? I mean, did people really say, hey, let's, you know, go. Or I, I think in, in the beginning, it, it was everybody wanted to go because, you know, if we could go to the Fox for Negro History Week and to the Symphony for Negro History Week. Before? Yeah. And so this was a chance to to just, just go, just, I'm going to go to the Fox. I'm going to go to the American theater or whatever. And people ran in the beginning. And then after a while, um, it was just another show or whatever. And it, of course, it was cost more than what we were used to at the neighborhood shows. And then people kind of settled down. And um, then, you know, they gradually start going back. And that's when things start just moving out or closing down in the neighborhood. Can you name some of the places that you that you went, that you liked or didn't like? Did you start going swimming? Um, did you ever encounter good things or difficult things in any of those situations? I can't remember anything being difficult. I know to, to sit down in a restaurant and order food uh, that was strange and nice, and I, this is the only way I want to live <laughs> from now on, um, to be able to um, go, in, go in the stores, because this, this was happening when I got to the point of having money of my own and everything. But even even after that, I can remember when I worked at at Homer Phillips, um, Green Greenfields, mm -hmm. Greenfields. I think it was Greenfields or Cunningham. Greenfields was a men's store, I believe. Okay, I don't know. Cunningham but maybe was it was store. it was a ladies' store on Sixth Street. Klein's. No, it wasn't Klein's, and I went there to get my mother a gift. Mm -hmm. Could have been Cunningham's. And. I told him my mother was larger, and I told him what size, and they said, you don't wear that size. I said, I know it's for my mother. They said, are you sure the size? I said, I think so. Why? I said, because you can't bring it back. I said, what do you mean? They said, whatever you get, you have to keep. You can't bring it back. And I didn't question it, and I told my mother, I said, well, I saw I can't remember what it was, a blouse or something, but I wasn't sure the size. They said I couldn't bring it back. And she said, I don't go in there anymore. And if you can't take it back, you don't want anything out of there. You can't take it back because you're black. I said, why? <laughs> I said, I really should have got mad with her, you know. But I, I just never went back in the store after that. Um... 
see. Did you ever resolve? Did you get it then that these places that you yeah and and then could my, go now were mm-hmm. it wasn't the money mm-hmm yeah just didn't didn't work because there was there was a place in I understand there was some here but I know it's a place in Detroit that um, my aunt took us to just to look in the window. And um, now this was really before the 60s. This is when I was a little kid, um, eight or nine years old. And they would let blacks come in to eat. But then when you finish eating, they would take your dishes and break them up right in front of you. Uh, are there places today that you still want to go or don't want to go or don't? No. No. Okay. Um, as an adult now, where do you spend your leisure time in St. Louis? Do you belong to clubs or unions or organizations? So what do you and your husband do? I don't. I belong, I belong to a neighborhood organization. That's about it. My husband is very active in the neighborhood, just in, in the neighborhood to try to keep the neighborhood stabilized. Um, he's president of the Northside Neighborhood Action Association. He's a member of the Baden Improvement. Um, he's um, active in the 27th and the 2nd Ward. All of them are community-oriented uh, organizations because we're, we're fighting desperately to keep the neighborhood stable and, and safe. It's a beautiful neighborhood. I know, and we're trying to keep it that way. It, are you concerned that, I mean, are there elements that are... Yes, we're so close to Walnut Park, and um, Walnut Park is hell. And we're having some people who, who are moving from Walnut Park and moving here. And it's, it's, it's amazing that we have a lot of people who want a better neighborhood, but they bring with them the element that they're running away from. And we find that we have the same problem. We're, we're hoping that we can eventually get those people out, some of them the ones that uh, we watch property. <laughs> and when we see people not taking care of the property, we turn them in. Uh, when we see people with a lot of activity and we suspect drugs, we turn them in. And, um, the police department works very close with my husband, and whatever he gives them a tip on, they, they act upon it. Mm -hmm. Now, would you mind if this was put into a in, into writing? No. Be okay, okay. Um, what did you tell me when I came in about your husband and you were having, he's for, you were having yeah, a, a spring fun? festival, uh -huh. yeah, June 26th. And uh, this is the second one, and this one is, is being planned bigger than the one last year. As raised funds for the organization, he hoped to eventually um, be able to write grants and have enough money to buy property when it's abandoned, or HUD property, and to have a group who will come in and renovate the property and then sell it. And so we won't have vacant houses in the area. A contractor just got in touch with him recently, want to meet with him and help work in that area over here. That's wonderful. Um, all right, and so um, 
Are there situations that occur now during the day that make you consciously aware of the color of your skin? The color of my skin. Mother. How, how would I put that? Aware of the color of my skin, the color of everybody else's skin. I don't. I don't like the crime. I don't. I don't like. I don't like the way that I have to live. I don't like having to have to have a burglar alarm system. I would like to have to have a burglar alarm because I just want a burglar alarm, not necessarily need a burglar alarm. Um, I don't like having to have to have a motion detector light in the back. Um, have to keep my car locked when I'm driving. Um, what does this have to do with the color of your skin? Uh, because of, of where I live and everything that's around me. I, that's why I say I don't know if it's the color of my skin or everything that's, that's surrounding. And everything surrounding me is black, so. Um, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm in a prison. Uh, we have some problems here. We, we try to stay up on them. As I said, when we find something, when the police suspect something, they let us know that they're watching a certain area and everything else. Uh, but still, there's there's this, you know, drugs are every place. I want to move. <laughs> I want to move for several reasons. I don't like when I step outside of my door that I have to talk to my neighbor. You know, there's some days I don't want to. But the houses are so close that when I step out and they're out, I have to, and usually good morning leads to something else, a good afternoon. Uh, I want, I don't want to have to hear what's going on next door. Um, we're talking about interpretation uh, of things that happen and, and how one takes them, uh, whether they're meant that way or not. Perceptions, I guess. But see, so many times, we, we kind of know, I, one particular incident at, that always stays in my mind, I don't know why, when I was pregnant with Kim, I went to this cleaners on uh, Newstead, and this, 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 it was white on, and I had an umbrella, because it was, it was hot out, and I had an umbrella for shade. And she said, you all carry, always carry umbrellas in the summer, why? I said, because the sun is hot. And she said, the sun is hot to you. And, but you all, I knew, had to mint black. <laughs> and, and that's how mm -hmm. it was used so much when they were talking about blacks in particular, mm -hmm. that whenever you hear you all, you know, your hair start standing up and, and you're waiting for the rest. Well, it, it was my, uh, was my uh, y'all different than you all? I was quoting a yeah. A now y'all is different. Mm -hmm. A southern uh, New yeah. Orleans friend from camp. So y'all is different from you all. But I might even say to my children or grandchildren, y'all come in here. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of times it's just certain things that will make a black take a double take. Because after leaving you last time and that was something you said, I thought, how many times a day do I say things 
that are misinterpreted. Yeah. And not meant. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, yeah, you know, we we were at the we were at famous, and we bought a new mattress. And the mattress came to over a thousand dollars. The mattress set, and I told the lady to uh, charge it. And she said, I'll call and get approval. I said, you don't need to get approval. And she said, well, I, I found it is always best to get an approval first. And she was black. I always found it best to get an approval first so it won't be a, a problem. I said, it won't be a problem. Trust me. You can just run it through. You'll get your approval when you run it through. And she called anyway. So my husband and I were waiting until she finished. And she said, it's okay. I said, I know damn well it's okay. That's what I told you. I said, my charge can't handle something. I'm not going to pull it out. I can handle it. And I resent it. I said, you know, I, I get this from white. Why do I need to get this from you? Let me be embarrassed. And if you think it's not going to go through, let me be embarrassed. I don't handle that. But don't treat me like this. She didn't say to you this is a rule? It was not a rule. No, she didn't say that. Because I've had people do that, and it's like over a certain amount of money. But the, the register will come up. <laughs> you know, you run something through it, but don't go through it. It's going to tell you, you know, you need to come to the credit office. Well, do you think that she was feeling her authority and wanting to I think she, she looked it? at us as black, and I wonder if their charge can handle it. Or sometimes people just, they feel they're, she wanted to have an authority no. as a black over another no. black. No. no, she wondered if, if it could, if it could handle it. Okay. Uh, let's see. Do you have friends of another color? Yes. Yes. Uh, not not friends of another color, and but I I have I have this couple that we met um, almost two years ago on a cruise when we went to uh, Tahiti and Hawaii. And we've kept in touch. And last year we met up in Las Vegas. Oh, you? Mm-hmm. We, we call each other. Oh, yeah. Nice. And um, this spring we went on another cruise to the Caribbean together. And we're meeting up again July 4th in Las Vegas. Oh, that's nice. So next, uh, in February, they're coming here to visit and sometime next year when we go to Alaska, we're going to, because they're in Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're going to stop there for a couple of days and visit with them. That's nice. That's nice. Okay. Um, stereotypes. Where do they come from? How do you feel they are perpetuated? I've got radio, movies, TV. All of the above. <laughs> the role of media in St. Louis in cementing or separating people of different color? The newspapers, television? Yeah. Um, Radio? I can't all be um, I have I have a lot of problems with 
all areas of the media. And and here, well, I can only really deal with St. Louis whenever I'm anyplace else. I've never spent that much time with the media to know anything really about it. And just the way things are, are slanted, I've, well, I've known and, and uh, all of my life that just because it's in black and white doesn't necessarily uh, mean it's true. Uh, as my father always used to talk about black history, that the last thing you want is for somebody white to write your history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like uh, I'm trying to do. <laughs> but it's going to be your words. Yeah. But I kind of, <laughs> well, go ahead. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, and just, I, I can't think of anything in particular right mm-hmm. now. But, you know, in reading through the paper, you know, sometimes I, I slam the paper down and, and I start raising the hill and I'll call my husband, I'll get on the telephone and call a friend and say, listen to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually they've caught it already. And, and we discuss it. Call Reader's Advocate. Um, do you feel as a, as a citizen the system has worked for you? Voting courts, agencies, organizations. Have you had any anything that you've had to that you that you've been involved with that that you? Uh, no. Um, yes, yes. I've had some things that that I've been involved with, um, and they don't work for me or for blacks period, um, the whole court system, that if something happens to me, I'm the victim, and I go to court, and I know that whoever did it is not going to get the time that they would get if you were the victim. Um, I know that I've, I've had some, some personal things that when my mother died, felt that it was negligence on the doctor's part. And I talked to lawyers and, uh, well, her age and, 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 and her health in general, that I don't think, I think it was negligence there, but I don't think it's enough to recover and, you know, enough for them to make any money off of. But also know because she was black that her life wasn't valued as much as if she had been white. Um, with myself, and instead I'm involved now, trying to file a malpractice suit. And again, I have to, as a black, you have to overly prove your worthiness for anything. And I'm dealing with the same thing. I see all the time in a newspaper, on television, frivolous charges filed by whites, and they get this astronomical amount of money. And, you know, when you're black, you, you, everything has to be where a person doesn't have to work for. Um, my, my thing in particular, I had, I had surgery to correct a problem with my knee. I um, fractured my tibia three weeks after the surgery. I didn't know that. I heard a pop. I immediately called the doctor. I went to the doctor, he had me come back the next day for x-rays. The x-ray did not show anything. He said, I pulled the hamstring. And he treated me for a pulled hamstring for five months. 
I continued to complain about pain. I went to physical therapy and they told him something is wrong. This lady swells after physical therapy. Uh, you know, something is wrong. And it was, it was only after my psychiatrist told me that you need to get a second opinion. I said, well, I'm going to give him one last opportunity. I was, I was beginning to think that I was crazy. We went to Europe last year, and I was in so much pain that I was, when my husband wasn't around, I was popping pain pills. Because I knew that if, if he knew that I was in that much pain, he would make me sit down. Why not get back to Europe? I want to see as much as I can. So I, I went back to the doctor and I said, athletes pull a hamstring and they're back on a playing field in a week. It's five months, something is wrong. Takes an x-ray. How in the world have you been walking, Miss Jones? You have a fracture. I don't know how you could have been walking on is this Is this the same doctor? Yeah. And, uh, so I went to another doctor and I had corrective surgery on that. And in the meantime, my leg had bowed. It was a lot smaller. And the doctor was able to straighten it some. It's shorter now. It's still somewhat bowed. It still has not filled out like the other one. And we don't know if the doctor was negligent. Pretty bad. Yeah. Um, what about what about the other things? Did you ever protest in the NACP, or did you ever for any organization? No, not no, no, no. I was never in any protest movement. So, what you told me before was your involvement in the civil rights part of it? Yes, I was, I was um, in a relationship with a fellow who was very active, mm -hmm. an activist that was over a militant organization. And I went to, to meetings with him. Was this him. the Black Panthers? Or? No, this was the... Um, Action? Um, I, I, I had a lot to do with them, too. What was his... Well, I can't think of the name of his 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 group at the time. Zulu. It was it was no it was, it was a one, local it was a local group. Yeah, it was one hundred. Yeah. So I think that was the same. It wasn't core. No, oh no, that was not a militant group. Core oh, no, and NAACP. Right, right. I was just <laughs> this, <laughs> this was a militant group. And uh, he had FBI file and and the whole thing. Okay. Um, all right, well, we'll go on then. Uh, you say, of course, you said that St. Louis was racially polarized, polarized and I've... Uh, what part of St. Louis seems like home to you? I'm North St. Louis. The North side. Uh, is there any place else, where else do you feel acknowledged in St. Louis? Uh, Central West, yeah. Central. Mm. Are there areas of St. Louis uh, that you will not enter? I try to avoid South St. Louis. All the time. I've always had bad experiences there. When I worked for the Civil Rights Agency, I used to have to go over there. I, at the time, they had the uh, for sale sign ordinance where you couldn't put out for sale signs in certain neighborhoods. 
and I used to have to go. And whenever I drove around South St. Louis in a city car, somebody would always report me. Mm-hmm. Man, there's a black gal over here in the city car riding around. I want to know if you know about it. Selima, do you ever go out west? In West County? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. Where do you see people of different color interact with one another in St. Louis? I guess the Central West End. What areas are you least likely to see people of different color interact? Northside. Um, some say St. Louis is the most northern city in the South. <laughs> I believe it. Do you feel St. Louis is unique in its racial attitudes and experiences from other places? Yes, yes, I think, I think, yes. The blacks are different here too. Um, St. Louis is a strange city. It's, it's a racist city. And as I said, the, the blacks are, are, are different. Um, in what way? And that um, some, some won't even acknowledge the fact that that St. Louis is a, a racist city. And um, those that do, um, don't do anything about it. And um, I guess I might be considered one of those, but I, I feel burnt out at this, mm-hmm. at this particular time. Does, does that have anything to do with an age um, factor that people won't admit that it's a I don't think so. I don't think so. Because there, there's some who's who's younger, and and think think that it's okay. Um, do you remember ever learning about the 1917 East St. Louis riots? Yes. Do you think that? Um, do you think that race riot had, uh, were, did you learn about that in school? No. No, I had relatives who were involved in it, who lived in East St. Louis, who had to leave out undercover, um, who a white family hid in their basement. And they were lucky because they said that it was known that um, whites were hiding some and they searched the whole house but this family who hid them they didn't search the house they came in and said any niggers in here and you sure and they were hiding I could hear them and I was scared to death and then somehow I don't remember just how they were able to get them out and brought them to this side and brought them to my mother and uh, some of her sisters and from here they got them to Detroit but uh, I can remember her saying that, you know, bodies were laying out in the street and and how scary it was at that time. Did you ever feel that something like that could happen here or? No. <laughs> no, I understand now. I understand there was a, a ride at Fairground Park. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I just, I just figured that, that St. Louis even now, you know, the police department in order to get more money for more policemen, they 
saying it's going to be a hot summer in St. Louis. They've been predicting a hot summer in St. Louis since 1965. And we haven't had a hot summer yet. The black people in St. Louis is a different breed of black people. That regardless as to what happened, they, they will find an excuse not to protest to any extreme, which, which is, is good in a sense because I certainly don't want to be involved in any kind of riot, uh, race or, or otherwise. And, uh, but we always seem to find a reason as to why we should show any, any strong opposition to anything. And uh, so I don't think St. Louis will, if, if we didn't ride during the 60s and the 70s and after Martin Luther King was assassinated and all the other things that's happened on a national level, I don't think anything can happen and St. Louis will ride. And St. Louis will what? Riot. The blacks in St. Louis will riot. Do you, do you think that, um, that the 1917 race riot had anything to do with the fact that uh, even in a small way that people don't think about rioting? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think most of the people there know anything about the, the riot of East St. Louis. Well, maybe not now, but in the 60s, there might have been people who were left or knew something about it. Or I just wondered. Um, uh, you've already said on the paper that you don't feel race relations have changed. Um, have your attitudes changed? Since so what in the past twenty years, past thirty years? So. At all, whatever. How as as growing into an adult. And being yes, an adult. yes, because I've I've become more aware. Um, of what? Of, of everything. Of racism, of its effect. And um, you know, a lot of people said that to anybody can be a racist, and that's that's not really true. Um, because you have to, a, a true racist has, has power, so black people cannot be racist, um, because they have no power. Um, only people with power can be racist because you, you, they affect the jobs, they affect the housing, they affect everything. So if, if somebody black said, I don't like white people, and I don't want them around me, it really doesn't mean anything because they can't control, and they don't control anything. So just saying, I don't want anybody white standing next door to me. Well, if they move there, there's nothing that you can really do. So what you're saying is a black can say, I don't like them, or that's a dirty whatever, dirty white person, or whatever they want to say. That doesn't make them a racist. You're only a racist if you have power. If you have power. But what does that make that person then? We have to think of another name. Uh, you, you can think of a hundred different names for it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, but but when somebody white says I don't like blacks, mm -hmm. then they can. They're saying that also affect whether or not they're going to rent to blacks, mm -hmm. or sell to blacks, mm -hmm. or serve blacks in their store and everything else. For me to say I don't like white people, it doesn't mean anything at all. You know. So what? 
You know, I'm just sitting here it's saying I don't like white people. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. an interesting perception. Um, so when did you change? And, and the, the, the older I got and, and began to learn what racism really meant, what it was, what it was all about. And you just, you, you feel helpless at first, and then you become angry. And then I guess you get in some place in between. <laughs> what about uh, the class system? You really touched on it, we didn't mention it, but the fact that the money has a lot to do, or you thought had to do with going in. So you have a class, and how much is class and how much is race? Um, it's still race. Um, money, I, money really doesn't have anything, really doesn't have that much to do with, with anything because a black person could, Oprah Winfrey, all the money she got, and she went to Beverly Hills and the store closed the door <laughs> in her face. Oh, yeah. And um, so, you know, in, in many cases, money still doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. Uh, is there, during your lifetime, is there a change in St. Louis concerning race that had an impact on you personally? Would you say? What would have been something that might have had the greatest impact on your life? I guess that, that, that even though we, we still live in a racist society, and I think it's going to be that way, and I think racism will always exist, um, that something still has happened for the better. And and I, and I guess for, for black people or, or women or whomever um, feel um, discriminated against is that you have to soon realize that this is the way things are going to be. That as long as, we, we will never be able to get rid of um, um, racism. As long as there's a black and white, or black and yellow, or white and yellow, or whatever. You're going to still have that because you're going to have the, the people with power and the people without power. And as, as long as you realize that and, and still be able to get as much as you can and, and still live and not let it destroy you as a person, then, you know, we, we can move on. But a lot of people... Both blacks and whites think that one day it will no longer be there. But that's not true. So you, uh, do you think we could ever become a colorblind society? No, no. no. We, we will never be able to, to, to not look at things and not look at it as, as male and female. Mm -hmm. As long as they're male and female. You, you just, as long as there's a difference in people, you, you're going to have that. But what we have to do is be able to, to not let it destroy every moment in our life.
did you, you have Kim, and um, um, how did Kim happen to go to Mary Institute? I, and, and I guess I'm, I'm like most, most parents. I wanted Kim to have everything I didn't have. I also wanted Kim to have the best education. I did not want her to grow up lacking in education. I encouraged her to read very early because I always felt that reading was the core to everything. And, um, and in education, I wanted her to have the very best. I wanted that if she didn't get a job, it wouldn't be because of education, that she would have that. And that it, it is just the key, you know, if she never got a job, that it was just important to be able to read and to understand. And so I just wanted the best schools for her. When she was in public school, she had good, she had good teachers. She had really good teachers. And I was able to stay on, on the teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a reputation that when she went to another class, they said, you will soon meet her mother, <laughs> that she visits the school, and she likes to sit in in the classroom. <laughs> and now you can also count on her to be a volunteer. She'll volunteer in the schoolyard, and any project you bring up, she will take time off from work to be in there. But you will get to know her mother. And when she got to the point, when we moved to Laclede Town, and she went to Waring, which was considered one of the best public schools, in the city, because they had a mixture of black and white and professional and non-professional kids. And Kim was in school and a teacher called me one day and said that she was a substitute teacher, the regular teacher would not be back for the rest of the semester. And she was having problems with the kids at school and Kim was one of them. And I said, not my Kimberly. And she said, oh yes, every parent says that. Uh, but she's one of the kids causing problems. I said, Kimberly is not causing any problems because Kimberly likes being the teacher's pet and she is not going to cause any problems. Um, she's intimidated by adults and she's, she's not, she's not going to cause a problem. Kim will be one of your best kids in class. Mm -hmm. Oh no. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. And I took off from work. And the teacher, she said, oh, she's not the one. I said, no, she said, but you know, I'm, I'm so sorry because all parents say that. I said, there's certain things that Kim is not gonna do. She's not gonna challenge an adult. It's just not her way. She's not like me in that sense. So how did you, how did you? <laughs> and I found out that Kim, oh, and the teacher said, you know, this is, this is a class for slow students. So what do you mean? You know, because Kim has always been a good student. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to the principal, and the principal said, well, we didn't have, they had a thing for only X amount of students. Mm -hmm. And the teacher just refused to take another student. So I said, you put my kid in a slow class? You penalize her instead of penalize the teacher? And so I said, I'll see you. So I went to the Board of Education. And they said, I don't believe it. I said, we'll go back. So we went through meetings. I'm quick to call a meeting <laughs> and write letters. And so Kim was moved to another class, and I knew then that was the end of public education for her. And so Crossroads opened up, 
and in Roe Camden Crossroads. And I certainly didn't want her going to a public high school. Kim is not a fighter, and I didn't want her to have to fight. She had had problems in school because Kim was an only child, and I dressed Kim, and Kim was spoiled, and, and Kim was this, and, and I don't want anybody beating up my child at school. <laughs> and um, so I applied at, at Mary Institute. And Mary Institute was very happy to have Kim. What year was this? Um, she graduated in 80. Yeah. So this is 76. Yeah. They were very happy to have Kim. Kim was a good student academically. Kim was a well-behaved student. She was very ladylike and all the little things that they liked having. So she went to Mary Institute and um, that's the story. That's the story. And did you go out there and yes. have to raise any help? No, I, I really didn't. I really didn't have to. Um, she, there was only one instance she ran for editor of the school newspaper. And she didn't get it. And Kim was the most qualified. She had written for several of the black newspapers. She had worked there as, as summer students. And um, she didn't get it, and she was very upset, and they made her assistant editor. And I said, well, if you're not satisfied, then you resign. And you write them a letter, and you tell them why. And she did that. But other than that, I, I didn't have any 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 problems out there. That's good. Um, Kim told me a story once about you and she going to the VP. You went and got all dressed up. And you weren't sure you looked. Well, tell me about that. She she was invited to the VP. I had always wanted to go to the Vail Prophet Ball. I was a little girl that I watched and watched them bowing and everything else. And, and I never grew up with the, the hatred that a lot of blacks have towards it. Because to me, it was the fantasy that I always wanted to live. So Kim was invited one year, and she came back and she told me about it. So the next time I said, see if you can get an invitation for me. And we went, and, and we were walking around, and you know everybody wanted to make us comfortable. That's what I found with people, white people with money. You don't ever have to worry about anything, because they know no matter what, even when you get money, you still won't be in their class, <laughs> because they come from a long line of money. <laughs> So they can be nice to you and they can invite you because they never will have to compete with you. So I'm always very comfortable around white people with money. And this and must have been when Kim was at Mary Institute. Yeah. And uh, so everybody was making us comfortable and I said, Kim, this is, I've dreamed of this all my life. Thank you for making this possible. And I said, we fit right in with everybody else. And at the time there were, there were blacks in the VP. And Kim said, Mama, I bet we look like Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> she said, you know, they always think they fit me. <laughs> and they're out of <laughs> I love that. <laughs> she said <laughs> Excuse me, but that <laughs> she's such a bright little thing. <laughs> Let me ask you something. She said that you all did a lot of shopping or trying to find the right thing to wear beforehand. <laughs> Were you dressed right or something? 
Oh, heavens, that's a great story. So you had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> and look, all right. It, but you did mention on something that I've, I have run into is that the, uh, you, you use the word hatred uh, of blacks or VP. Uh, I, I, in another uh, project that I was interviewing people for, and it came up almost by accident, and I was told, and I, if this is familiar to you, that, that on the night of the VP ball, I guess, um, that in the black community people would have parties and would, would go get new dresses and um, have parties. I'm not familiar with okay. that. Uh, that's, I just was wondering. But what was the hatred of the VP? Just that, that blacks could not participate. And and now that's another one of my things where it was, it was um, money, and and family money, mm -hmm. and uh, because it was whites who couldn't participate, you know. Right, it was, I was say, like, yeah, a whole lot of people. <laughs> it, you know, it was all about money. So I never I never had that that problem with it, you know. And I just I, I always thought that if I had enough money, I would be able to. I would be able to, to get the dress and to make the vow. And <laughs> Did you go to the parade? Yeah. Did your parents take yeah. you? Yeah. Now, it, that was always a big thing. And there was always a party after that. Now, that's what we did. Our family, somebody would always have chili dogs or something like that after mm -hmm. after the parade. And, and you went and, and you saw the queen. and the But, you know, like every picture I had seen of a queen, unless it was an African queen with somebody white sitting on the throne anyway. So, you know, that never bothered me. And there are people now who will not have anything to do with the um, the VP fair they have on the riverfront. I don't have anything to do with it because I don't like large crowds anymore. But still that hangs. Yeah, but as far as that, you know, and, and I've told some that if I didn't go to that because blacks were not included, and how can I go to the Fox Theater or the Muni Opera or any place else? You know, we were not included in anything. So why pick a particular thing, especially when that had to do with money? Main, most of all, money. When you, know? you when you watch the VP parade, were there clowns giving out candy and stuff yeah. like that? And did yeah. they yeah, give it to you? Yeah. I always try to get to the front. and <laughs> Well, you know, the same way like in, in, in the Mardi Gras, they, and, and I hate to see it now that I'm grown, kids running on the ground and picking it up and, and all this. Yeah. I don't like the idea of it now, but as a kid, it, it was fun. Tell me about uh, your father and uh, the Matthew Dickey's Boy Club. He is the, the Dickey of the Matthew yes. Dickey Boy Club. Yeah. I, I guess one thing that I need to tell you that my, my father was, was our teacher of black history. You know. When when he taught us about white people, he always he also said they don't tell you the truth. They don't tell you the truth about what what blacks contributed. You know, you, you grew up thinking that all we had to do with was a peanut and not everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as the Matthew Dickey Boys Club, uh, my father my father has you're, you're referring to George Washington Carver. Yeah, and peanut. And <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my father was. I always had like a boys club without a building. When we were very small in the village, my father would gather up the kids, and mostly the boys, and who had roller skates, and they would skate and go for long distance on skates 
and the same thing with bicycles. And he always carried my brothers and some of the other boys in the neighborhood to um, to play ball with him on the ball lots, and and they were ball boys and things like that. And you know, he played ball with them. He he always participated with the kids in the neighborhood, not just not just us in the family, but in the neighborhood. And um, my father does see things on a small scale, and Matthew see things on a much larger scale, because my father was very content and run the club out of our dining room. That's where it started. In our dining room, he and Matthew sitting down at the dining room table and, uh, you know, getting clubs, and they were with the Quarry League in, in the beginning. And um, the, the banquets was the, the mothers put in and, and brought turkeys and, and everything else and served out of Wool Center. My Didn't father, have a name then? Yeah. They start out as Matthew and Dickie, and um, as I said, my father was content with that. He was content with remaining with Corey Lee, even though they were a boys club, still operating under them. And um, and as I said, Matthew always saw things on a larger scale, and he saw the club as it stands today. And my father thought everything was fine, just the way it was. And, and didn't need all the, the big buildings and you getting away from the boys. You still can't convince him otherwise even today. He's a hands-on person. Yeah, yeah. And, and he would never take a job, a pay job there because he thought that you're supposed to be working with the boys and not there for pay. Mm -hmm. And uh, as time went on, Matthew became the administrator my father continued to have three or four teams. I was never there. Um, I don't, I'm not angry with Matthews, the way things have turned out. My father has nothing to do with the club. And they've, he's only called in when there's a thing where they want Matthew and Dickie present. Uh, because my father just never took that role. He, he always wanted to have on the, the baseball uniform and have the kids. He didn't. He didn't want to do any of the other stuff, and so he has no complaint. No, because no. it is a good thing. Yeah, and yeah. Mr. Yeah. Matthews is He's the one who did it. He he goes around and he begged money and he got people on the board. And he has a very sophisticated board, and uh, they raise money and they and they do a lot of good things. And uh, and had your father wanted to, he could be. Yes, they offered him a job. Yeah, he didn't want a job. He didn't want to do that. He, he felt it was criminal to take money yeah. to do that. that but was, you know, it, 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 it took both of them each in their own yeah, way to make it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, all right. I think uh, we won't discuss Kim and that because I'll do Kim. Uh, and uh, Is there anything that you can, that's on your mind or that you've been thinking of or that you want to say that I haven't well, touched on? you know, I, I have friends who tell me even now that it was inevitable that Kim would marry a white boy because I raised her as white. And, but, you know, black people have a difficulty with, with raising white and, and are just 
raising a kid to appreciate everything in life. I always wanted Kim to feel comfortable no matter what setting she was in. Mm -hmm. And so we, we sat down to dinner together. And we had salad and we had green vegetable and I hate it as much as she did, but I wanted to teach her. These are the things that you're mm -hmm. supposed to do. And this is how you use, and I insisted that she use her utensils properly at home. Mm -hmm. Because I can remember times when I was embarrassed because of things that I didn't know. And I never wanted her to experience anything bad that I had in life. And I wanted her to be well-rounded. I wanted to take dance lessons when I was a kid, and my mother couldn't afford them. And so, I, and I wanted her exposed to the art museum and to know something about art, even though I didn't. And um, to, to know something about the classics, to know something about the newspaper and, and current events around her and everything. So I, I still have some friends that say that I raised her to be a little white girl. And I just wanted her, no matter where she went, to feel comfortable and not out of place. And I'd have to guess about what she's supposed to do. And, uh, uh, but that's still misinterpreted. You know, I was, when I talked to my analyst not too long ago, and I told him I had gone to a women's retreat, and what a good time I had. He said, did any of your friends go? I said, no, of course not. I didn't even tell them until the last minute. And they said, oh, that's so white. <laughs> it's so white. Yeah. And, but, oh, you're going to get in touch with your feelings. <laughs> and, you know, that's looked upon as, as being white. Seeing an analyst is looked upon as, as being white. Salima, what are the differences? What is the difference between you and me? Just the color of our skin. And, you know, it's, it, but it's still hard. Just recently I was talking to a girlfriend and I was telling her, I said, you know, you need to go see a psychiatrist and talk. She said, oh, girl. I said, no, you really do? I said, now I'm going to tell you, I picked a white psychiatrist. And she asked me why. And I said, because he does not run in the same circle I run in. So I feel that I can tell him anything. And if he tells it to a friend, it's going to be somebody white that I don't know. And I don't have to worry about it. You know? And I pay him to take all of my secrets. You know? And I told him, I said, you know, that's, that's the key to prayer. When people say prayer answers everything, it doesn't answer anything. You know? God isn't listening to your prayers. I said, but you know, when, when you speak it out, you hear it. You hear it for yourself and you say, oh. And I said, and that's what a psychiatrist does. I go there, and, I, and he sits back and says, yeah, well, what do you think, Selene? How do you think you ought to? He never tells me how to handle it. Yeah. And, uh, and then driving home, thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I pay him, you know. And uh, she said, well, you can use a friend. I said, no. Mm -mm. You never share everything with a friend. You know, so much I tell you, I have another friend I tell something else to, but I can never unload anything. And then sometimes you're pro you, you have problems, but I don't worry about his problems. He's there to take care of mine, to listen to mine. And if I want to just walk the floor and raise hell, he sits there and let me do it. If I feel like crying for my hour, he lets me cry for my hour as long as I pay afterwards. 
I said, it's not a white thing. And if you ever try it and you find somebody you're comfortable with, you see what I'm talking about. The thing is that when your friends say you raised Kim to marry women, it doesn't matter what they say. Mm -hmm. You raised, yeah. and she is all those things that you said that you wanted for her. Um, she does know. She has a wonderful way about her. And you have much to be proud of. Um, but she did marry him. Fall in love and marry Anyway, uh, that's, that's beside. Um,